welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Well, if we haven't yet met, my name's Josh, and I get to serve here in the, uh, the family at Grace Life. And my prayer is that you would in some way get a greater appreciation of the reality and the love of God found in Jesus. Before you leave today, there'll be an opportunity for you to say yes to Him, to give Him your life, not just add Him to your life. And I've seen the, the hand of God in my life over the years. And in particular, it's just the knowledge, the inner knowledge that He has been with me ever since I can remember, like probably powerfully, most powerfully in my late teenage years. Um, in my late teenage years, I actually um, I bought my first car. And um, I know a lot of you guys are thinking, that is a cool cucumber standing up there. He must have had the most hotted up car on the face of the planet. Who thinks I did not and who thinks I did? Who thinks I did? Yeah. Max and Michael. We're gonna be. We're gonna. We're gonna spend more time together. Here's a picture. Of something very similar to my very first car that I bought. That was a 1983 Toyota Crusader. 1983 and poo brown. It was actually that color. It was a poo brown color. That was. That was my car. Yeah. Yeah. How do you like me now? Hmm. Well, you know what I really wanted. You know what I really wanted. I wanted a VL Walkinshaw. That's what I really wanted, a, a Commodore VL Walkinshaw, but I didn't have enough money for that. I found that growing up, we didn't have a lot of money, um, and so I probably wanted to overcompensate because I wanted to look good. You know, I wanted the chicky babes to notice me. That was my wife's laugh up there. Well, well, the cheeky babe certainly did notice me in my poo brown Toyota Crusader from 1983. It was actually banged up too, so it looked a lot worse than that. But as I grew up, I really had these cravings to to have money. I, I wanted to have money because money was something that we did not have much of. I remember we would go and uh, get KFC once a fortnight on my dad's uh, pay cycle. We'd be very lucky to get a bag of 50 cents with a mixed lollies. Gee, you could get a lot more with 50 cents back then than you could right now. Well, back in the days, we could get more with our dollar. You know what 50 cents could buy me back then? And the desire to, to have money and wealth was, um, was deeply entrenched into my person. I really found that. And, and, you know, how many people here deep down, you want more? Be honest. You want more. You want more wealth. Okay. And we could all have very noble reasons for it. I'm not judging you. I just, we want more, right? Well, this is not a new thing. It's totally not a new thing. But there are specific warnings that we read about in the Bible about this, that it can be a trap. And in particular, over this, uh, the next number of weeks, we're going to be exploring a series that we call Becoming Rich. Becoming rich. And it's largely rooted in 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you've got your swords, why don't you pull them out? 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to start from verse 6 actually this morning. 
It's one of the final things that Paul writes to a young pastor, and he's urging this young pastor on what to teach. But from verse 6, this is what Paul writes. Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. I pause and say amen there myself, but I struggle that my life would show that at times. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. There are two verses there that really grip my attention here. Verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Those who desire to be rich. What does it mean to be rich? What does that mean? What is wealth? When I think of the word wealthy, who comes, who comes to mind for you? Rich and wealthy. Branson, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Andrew Forrest, Twiggy Forrest, sure. These are people that are rich and we're thinking about lots of money, right? Those who desire to have lots of stuff, lots of money, the accumulation of resources, whatever. Those who desire that, fall into temptation. It's not just being rich or having stuff, it's desiring that. It's pursuing that. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. For the love of money, what does it look like to love money? How do I know if I love it? How do I know? What does it look like? Oh no, I don't, I don't love money. That's the other guys, right? That's someone else. They love money, not me. I'm pretty content. Yes, I will put my 10% in, in the offering. I will give the obligatory homeless person $5 as I pass them by. And that shows that I don't love money. But what would it look like if the love of money would it look like something? I really want to have a look at that today. I want to have a look at that today. And my assignment this morning is to share with you a sermon called, It's Not About Money. It's not about money. There is a young man that, approaches Jesus, and we can see this in a few of the different Gospels. He's wealthy. He's somewhat of a ruler, a leader, most likely a Jewish leader, and he comes to Jesus in humility. Why don't you turn with me, if you can, to Mark's account, and I'm going to go from chapter 10. I'm going to start at verse 17 as we talk about this, this rich, young 
ruler, we find out he's rich at the end of the passage that I'm about to read. We find out that he is young through Matthew's account. You can find that in Matthew chapter 19. And importantly for us is to, uh, uh, first of all, not separate ourselves from this rich person. He's wealthy. We mentioned people like Richard Branson, Bill Gates, Andrew Forrest as representations of wealth. According to Credit Suisse, in 2018, regarding wealth, that is what you have and take away what you owe. Okay, That's how wealth can be defined. Um, Credit Suisse said that the world's wealthiest individuals, those who have $140,000 in assets or more, are about 10% of the world's population. Now, I'll put it into these terms. If you have about 140000 bucks worth of stuff, you're in the top 10%. Maybe your, your contents, for example, might be half of that, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 worth of stuff in your home. Add to any equity you might have in your home or not. Maybe you've got cars, maybe you've got stuff, maybe you're growing that. But if you have at least 140000 Australian dollars, you're in the top 10%. Now, out of that, ton, if you're in that top 10%, you actually, you actually make up, out of the whole amount of wealth in the world, you're in the top, you, you, you hold 85% of it. So if there's $100, you're in the group that owns $85. And the rest of the world owns 15%. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if that's you. But that's me, right? So I'm, I'm kind of wealthy. Now, in, regarding income, uh, the president of World Vision gave out some stats. He says that if you earn more than, if you earn 35000 Australian dollars or more, you earn more than 90% of everyone else on the planet. Isn't that interesting? If you earn 50000 Australian dollars or more, you earn more than 97% of everyone else on the planet. Holy dooly. If you earn in Australian dollars, 70,000 Australian dollars or more, you earn more than 99% of everyone else on the planet. I'm kind of wealthy. So when I read this passage now, it puts some things into context here. When we read the Bible, it's important to... to Take a step back and think, okay, what's God doing here? What's he saying? What does that speak to me? What's the context? And Lord, what, what, what do you want me to do about that? And so try, as we read through this passage together, let's not separate ourselves, but let's see if there's something that we can learn together as we explore the story that many call the rich young ruler. Verse 17 to verse 20, I'll start. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud and honor your father and mother. And 
the man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So here we see a man who is rich, probably not just in financial means. He's not just wealthy. He's, he's also good. He has some sort of good wealth of, of moral standing, relatively speaking. And so he's doing the good things. He's, he's, he's trying to tick all the boxes for salvation and eternal life. And he genuinely is asking a genuine question. In humility, it says he comes down and he kneels at Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, and he says, what have I got to do? If you're taking notes, write this down. Wealth does not give us significance or security. It does not give us significance or security. For some of you, you've got to write this down. Wealth will not give me significance or security. Here we have a man that has wealth. He does, something's not sitting right in him. Something's just, it's, it's not computing and he wants to know, what's the missing link? What have I got to do, God? What have I got to do? Now, in this, in this context and perhaps in our context, we think that um, if you got good stuff, God must have blessed you because you've done something right, right? You must have done something right and therefore God has blessed you. Can I say that's not always the case? He does bless you when you do good things, yeah, but he, some, he blesses you when you're a rotten sinner too. Me being one of those people. Hello? And so we have a young man who is, who is keen on saying, God, there's something missing. What is it? Wealthy is not the person in your friendship circle that earns lots of money. It's probably you and all of your friends are wealthy. It's probably me. That's me. So I'm the wealthy person. God, can I earn my salvation? Because it's not working for me. It doesn't fit right with me. And I don't, money's not giving me my sense of significance. The, the desire or the pursuit to have that nice grand house to become significant, to live in that suburb, to be significant, to have that nice car, clearly <laughs> didn't give me much significance, right? That, that great job, don't you see? That won't get you significance. It didn't for this man. He knew something was missing. Those clothes that you want to wear so desperately, that won't give you significance. True significance is something on the inside that only Jesus can give. And this man knew that. And neither was it significance he was chasing. There was an element of security, eternal security that he was pursuing. The two things, Tom Torrance once remarked, that every human being craves, longs for, is security and significance. Those very two things. We can spend all the money we want on protecting ourselves and putting our great safety systems on in our house. I've done that. We want a nice, big, fat, juicy savings account in case of a global financial crisis. That'll give me my security. Well, what about a beautiful nest egg? That'll, that, that'll surely bring me security. The man had stuff. And the great lie that the enemy paints is that you need more. And then you'll feel better. 
It's just, it's not true. It's not true. Can I again say, I'm not talking about the Richard Bransons of the world. I'm talking about us. We come and we worship on Sundays. Dressed all nice. Wear my nice shirt today. Wear my nice shoes. But deep down I wonder if at times I'm just trying to look good. The splendor of my things I'm clothed in so much bling Just check out all my toys Come on my friends rejoice How great am I God OMG how great am I God and and so we, we, we at times even subconsciously place ourselves in the middle of our worship. How do we know that? Where is your worship directed? Look at your bank account. That will show you what you value. Why am I so quick to pray about an offering amount? But if the opportunity to buy a footy ticket was there, oh, no, I don't need to pray about that one, surely not. Am I the only one? Say amen or ouch. So the man discovers that salvation is not something that you can just add in this conversation with Jesus. It's, it's, it's salvation is not just about doing. We'll, we'll find this as the, as the conversation continues. And he has this theology of salvation by works. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved for works. You know that, right? We are saved... By our faith in Jesus alone. But our faith in Jesus is never alone. Because the fruit will show itself. It will show itself. So Jesus then moves from this academic conversation of what to do into this moment of affection and he goes straight to the heart. I love how Jesus does this. We, 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 we pray about things. We interact with him about certain things and he entertains that though it's just topical but then what he'll do at times he'll, he'll just touch a, he'll, he'll, he'll touch a raw nerve he'll go a little bit deeper this is what it says in verse 21 and verse 22 Jesus looking at the man loved him and said to him you lack one thing to do go Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In my other Bible, where it says, for he had great possessions, I've actually written for the great possessions had him. This is what it says in the message. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and he loved him. He said, there's one thing left. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart 
He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Jesus got personal. It wasn't about the money. It was about the heart. But Jesus used the money to show something up. I wonder if for some of us today, Jesus wants to show something up in our hearts. See, when Jesus appeared to a woman at the well, he's there waiting for this no-name woman by a well, has a conversation about water, but it was never about the well or water. It was about him. When, when, when he has this conversation with Peter, about Peter, cast your nets out, and all the fish came. It wasn't about the fish, but Jesus used the fish. So much so that Peter, huge catch, left it all and followed Jesus. And that's the kind of allegiance that Jesus calls from us. To not just give him leftovers and tick all the boxes except one. Because it's that one thing that has our hearts that he wants. Maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's not. Maybe that one thing for you, maybe it's your work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe, maybe it really is money. But with God, it's less about the dollar and more about the devotion. But what's interesting is that the devotion will always determine where the dollar is directed. So instead of worrying about, I've got to give to, I've got to do that. Go a little bit deeper. And this is what Jesus is doing. He goes a little bit deeper and he goes, show me your heart. And Jesus in this conversation with a person who really wants to do the right thing, trying to earn his salvation and do the good works, Jesus attends to him and says, all right, here's the thing I want you to do then. I want you to do this. The money you got. He doesn't even say the money. The stuff you got, sell it, turn it into money, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And Jesus did it in love too. You know, sometimes the most loving thing to do is to tell the truth. Oh, but Jesus is so meek and mild. In my picture of Jesus, he has blonde hair. He has a nice, silky, flowing robe. And, and as, he, as he ministers to these children and these people alike, he's frolicking and dancing in a whole hillside full of heavenly-scented daffodils and marigolds, and it's wonderful. And that's my Jesus. No, Jesus is gangster sometimes. He really is. He loved him. There was something... That held the man's heart. It was a stronghold. And I wonder if some of us here today at the beginning of this series are feeling a little bit uncomfortable as we ask about money. The reality is I can't preach about money the same amount of times as Jesus preached about money. I wonder how many people would be showing up. Proportionally speaking, wealth, material, possessions, finances was referred to over 2,000 times. Look at how often Jesus referred to it. Why did he do that? Because he knew that stuff, wealth, material possessions, resource, finance, that's where our hearts are. Amen or ouch? 
Okay, if you want some help, right, let me help you. If you want some excuses, let me, let me give you some excuses. I'll give you some excuses. If you want to hold on to your money, take some notes. Here are three excuses you can give if you want to hold on your money. The first excuse, the God's will excuse. This is, what's the, this is the God's will excuse. I would be more responsible with my money, but God loves me, which means he wants me to be happy. And the only way I'll be happy is if I buy whatever I want, whenever I want to. This is God's will for my life. Here's another excuse. The need excuse. I would be a better steward and more generous, but I don't have much money left over after buying what I need. This month I needed a new massage chair with a built-in refrigerator. Who knows what I'll need next month? That's the need excuse. Here's another excuse. The evil excuse. More. I would be more wise with my money, but I know that money is a root of all kinds of evil. So I feel like it's my responsibility to spend it as fast as I can, so I have as little evil as possible at all left over. This is the Christian thing to do. The evil excuse. Who owns all of this stuff anyway? Who owns it? He owns it anyway. Jesus is talking to this guy and, oh, really? Money? You don't own that anyway. Where does it come from? JC's there thinking to himself, my dad owns a cattle on a thousand hills and you're worried about a few pennies? Really? See, the conversation around the ownership versus stewardship thing is so key for us. My money is not my money. It's his. See, if, I, if it's my money, I get to do whatever I want with it. If it's God's money, he gets to tell me what to do with it. It's his. It doesn't matter how hard we work, how much we save, at the end of the day, everything, as soon as we give our lives to Jesus, not just our money, but everything, it's his. My time, my talents, and my treasure all belong to the king. Being a Christian is giving him my everything that I would abandon all. I would have this heart disposition. I would give it up in a heartbeat for you, Jesus. But greed was in this man's heart. Greed. You know, I reckon I've met so many different kinds of people and I've had so many confessions. I don't have a confession booth. I don't plan to anytime soon. But when we talk to people, when, when I talk, I, I hear many people confess sins. I have heard confessions like stealing, lying, cheating, adultery, immorality. I have heard even things like murder. I've heard that. But I don't recall anyone ever telling me that they have sinned with greed. I don't. And as I was thinking, I was reflecting on that this week. I'm thinking, why is that the case? Why? What, why? Greed is clearly a sin, right? But where's the line? How can you define it? How do you define greed? What, it, greed's the other guy, right? Greed is the multinationals. Greed is those big companies. Greed is those millionaires. But what about greed in our hearts? Just putting the question out there. What does it look like? And this man struggled with the idolatry 
of wealth showing itself up with greed, a reluctant to relinquish what held his heart. I love what Jael said this morning about generosity. Essentially, it's an evidence of the Holy Spirit at work. It is. It is. And um, Jesus, as gangster as he is, he, he, he tests on this area of generosity and he looks to redefine where wealth lies. He says, all right, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So where, where, where's, treasure, where's treasure to be stored? In heaven. In heaven. Don't store treasure here. Where moth and rust and thieves can get at it. Do good things that have eternal value. Be intentional with your finances, church. Love God and use money. But don't use God and love money. Money is to be, to be our servants, not our masters. Don't let money have mastery over you. Otherwise, it'll dominate you. It will. In the West, it is one of the greatest gods. It has such a stronghold over us. Well, how do I know if there's a stronghold of finance? Of well, how do I know that it's there? Well, what, what is the first port of call for your decision making? Is it God? When the Lord says, I want you to share or sow or give, how do I respond? I'm being honest. How do I respond? My wife's really good at this. Her first port of call is, yeah, we can do it. Well, God, we can trust God. Maybe it's the Anglo-Indian in me trying to make sure I, I'm all sorted out for the future. Maybe it's my family of origin, the, the lack that I had growing up. Maybe it's all those. I, I, God knows. But God wants, he wants a higher standard of living. He says, come trust me. Trust me, son. Trust me, daughter. Your life may look like this, but I'm telling you there's a greater way to live. There is peace that money can't buy. There is joy that money can't buy. There is life that money can't buy. Trust me and I'll show you a better way. And so Jesus then continues the conversation. It says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I'm going to read through the lastes here. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to Jesus, then who can be saved? Final verse, Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Final point is this. In those verses we just read, Jesus loved the man enough to let him walk away. He let him walk away in sin. And do you know that Jesus loves you enough to let you walk away? For some reason in our theology, we've got something that says to us, Jesus will always consistently 
always, always pursue and chase you and and, and plea and beg for us to respond to him. No, that's not what Jesus does. That's not what we read here. In fact, you'll find in the Gospels this happened. Jesus would say something quite tough, quite firm, quite hard, and people would walk away and they would miss out on eternal life. He's a leader. He's strong. He's firm. He's loving, but he's fair. Is he full of grace? Absolutely. But is he full of truth? You better believe it. And he let the man walk away. And so here... We've got to understand that when Jesus comes and has a conversation with us and he deals with something in our lives, he tends to touch on something in us. And he says, I want that. I want all of you, but I want all of you to want me. And he waits for our response. It's our move. That's how he works with us. And for different people, it looks very differently, actually. Sometimes he'll call for small, steady steps in our walk with him. At other times, it's just humongous. But we see the, we see the incredible help at the end of this conversation. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So I wonder if the Lord might be challenging some of you today, calling for you to let go of something, to give something up, to relinquish control. And you're saying, I can't, I'm not ready. Don't you know? Don't you understand? Can't you see what's happened to me? In your own strength, you can't do it. And he'll let you walk away. He loves you enough to make your own decisions about your life and your future. But if you stay a while, All right, Jesus, I don't know how, but I need your help. And with God, all things are possible. This is not about money. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.